This will be mentioned later during our announcements, but I did just want to say, uh, I can't believe Christmas is only one week away. That is wild. So, um, so we're going to gather here at 4 o'clock on Saturday on Christmas Eve for a candlelight Christmas Eve service. Um, I don't know if you've been around this long or not, but a year ago on Christmas Eve was our very first time to be in this space. Uh, we had never been in Phil Sweetly before um, Christmas Eve last year, so it's, it's fun to be back on our um, uh, one-year anniversary uh, on Christmas Eve. And so um, we invite you to come and join us. Um, there are some crazy statistics on um, people who don't attend church that are willing to attend church if someone would just invite them, and especially on times like Christmas and Easter. So um, let me just nudge you that if you have a neighbor or a friend or a family member that maybe is not a regular churchgoer, that Christmas Eve is a great time to invite them uh, to come and be a part of uh, our Christmas Eve worship service. That's Saturday at 4. And then the next two Sundays, I guess this is every seven years when this happens, we're going to have, it'll be Christmas Day and then New Year's Day, which those are not super highly attended mornings for worship, typically. Uh, but we will have worship. We will be here both of those Sundays at 10 a.m., um, we're trying to do those as volunteer-free as possible. So um, we're not going to offer nursery. We're not going to offer children's church. Um, bring your own coffee. Um, but we would love for you to come and worship with us. And we would love for your children to come and be here as well. We're going to shorten those services big time um, just to make it doable with, with little ones and you know, squirmy kids that where it's hard to sit for an hour. So it won't be an hour long. It's going to be shorter than normal, and it will be a really joyful time to get together, especially Christmas morning. Feel free to keep the kids in the Christmas jammies. Bring them as is. We'll come. We'll sing some songs here, brief devotional, and then just back to the chaos of your living room for the rest of the day. So, um, But wanted to invite you to those things and put them on your radar. Okay, so we're spending these four weeks of Advent, um, just the weeks leading up to Christmas, um, looking at four different songs of Jesus. Um, the first two chapters of Luke's Gospel contain four songs about the birth of Christ, and, and each of them give us a deeper understanding of Jesus and the salvation that he would bring. And we're looking at Simeon's song in Luke chapter 2, um, verses 22 to 35 this morning. Um, you can find that in the bulletin that you've got on the way in or in a Bible if you have one. Um, so one of the things that I've grown to appreciate more in, in uh, really since I've been married is uh, musical theater. Um, while I feel like I've, I've only sort of scratched the surface, I'm not really knowledgeable at all, I just, I just really love watching musicals. They're, they're, just, they're fascinating. I remember seeing Jersey Boys um, soon after Aaron and I uh, were first married when we were living in St. Louis, and I had no context for a musical at that point, but I walked out of that performance um, just struck with how crazy talented those performers are. Um, to perform in, in musicals, you have to be able to act, you have to be able to sing, and you have to be able to dance. Um, and you have to be able to do all three of those really well at the same time. Um, and like a lot of things, you know, you can watch it and just be totally in awe of the glory and the beauty of it as it's presented on stage. But then as, a, as an amateur viewer like myself, you just have no idea about the amount of sacrifice and suffering um, that it takes um, to get on that stage. And, and so I, I looked up um, and I found this blog um, on how to make it on Broadway. Broadway would be like the ultimate stage to perform in a musical. Um, and, and so here, here, according to one person uh, on their blog, this is, this is like what has to come together for you to make it as, as, as an actor or actress on Broadway. So they say that the younger you start training, the better. So if there are any aspiring Broadway actors or actresses here, you can write these down. This is, this is free of charge this morning. But the younger you start training, the better. 
Um, you got to take acting classes. You need to get a voice coach. You need to take dance classes. Um, so in addition to those things, the starting young, acting, voice coach, dance, dance classes, um, if you're able to play an instrument, you have an upper hand. Um, if you've ever been a cheerleader, you have an upper hand. If you've ever taken ballroom dancing specifically, you have an upper hand. So you just keep the list going here. Um, you need to have connections in the industry. Um, you're more likely to get to get cast in a role if you know people on Broadway. So if you're an aspiring actor, actress, start working those connections on Broadway. Um, they say to always say yes, whether it's a networking lunch, an audition, an opportunity to perform, always say yes. Um, watch as much theater as you can, right? So you can, uh, you know, learn by, by watching others. Uh, stay healthy. Um, so you have to eat right, stay in shape, you need to exercise a lot. So again, I hope you're keeping this list. Um, learn how to apply makeup. If you're going to be on stage, you've got to look good, right? Apply makeup. Learn how to be rejected was the last thing they said, because you're going to hear no a lot. You're going to go to a lot of auditions, they're going to tell you uh, that, that you're, you're not going to make the cuts. So learn how to be rejected a lot. Okay, so that's the list from one person's perspective, how to make it on Broadway. If you do all these things and you happen to have unbelievable, rare, natural talent, then you might make it on Broadway. Maybe. Um, there is so much hidden sacrifice and suffering that goes into the glory that we see on stage in a Broadway musical that most of us never have any idea about. In the passage I'm about to read, Simeon is going to sing about the glorious salvation of Jesus. And it's beautiful, and it's the subject of our worship songs. Um, but he's also going to give us a glimpse of the hidden sacrifice and suffering that goes along with this salvation. So our passage picks up Luke chapter 2, just after the birth of Christ. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 and following. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. And God, we ask you now to help us to understand it. Help us to know you more. 
Um, Would you speak to us by your Spirit as we look at your Word together? Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, two headings that we'll think about this passage under this morning. I want to talk about first, salvation, and secondly, suffering. Salvation and suffering. First, salvation. Okay, so there's a little bit of setup in our passage leading up to this song that Simeon sings. Uh, Mary and Joseph are doing what um, good Jewish parents would do with their firstborn son. They just had him circumcised and now they're bringing him up to Jerusalem to the temple to do a few things. It says to seek purification uh, and to present their child to the Lord. Okay, why is that? Why purification? All right, so according to the law in the book of Leviticus, um, if a woman gave birth to a son, she was ceremonially unclean for 40 days after the birth. And for her to be ceremonially clean again, to be purified, she was to bring a lamb and a pigeon as an offering. Uh, Mary and Joseph were too poor to afford the lamb, so there was a provision for those who were without means that they could bring two pigeons instead. And so that's what they do. And all this, you know, sounds pretty much like far outside of our categories for what women do in the first few months after giving birth to a child. But in this context, this would have been the standard practice for the day. They were just obeying the law. They were there for his purification, for the purification. Um, What does it mean to present their child to the Lord? Um, All right, this comes from the law in Exodus, that all firstborn males were set apart to the Lord, which would be the case for any firstborn Israelite male, but how much more for Jesus himself? They came to present this child to the Lord. And so Joseph and Mary, they come to the temple in Jerusalem to do this. When they get to the temple, they meet this man named Simeon. Um, We don't actually know that much about Simeon. He could have been a priest, um, but the text doesn't tell us for sure. Um, In verse 25, though, his character is lifted up. We learn some about his character. It says he was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. It says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. So he's a man of God, Simeon is. He's following after the Lord. He's waiting for God to come and rescue his people or comfort or console them. And the Spirit had spoken to Simeon and told him that he would not die until he had seen Jesus in the flesh. So he was just faithfully waiting. In verses 27 and 28, it happens. The parents bring Jesus in. Simeon holds Jesus in his arms And he's so overjoyed to meet this long-awaited rescuer that he breaks into this song. Look at verse 29 in your passage. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Okay, so he's singing that he can now die in peace... Because his eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. And and this this short little song that he sings shows us a bit more about the salvation that Jesus brought to us. And the first thing we see is this. That God is the author of salvation. God is the author of salvation. Simeon says in verse 30 that his eyes have seen your salvation. God's salvation. That he has prepared. That God has prepared this salvation in the presence of of all peoples. God is the author of our salvation. And it has to be this way. 
Uh, Because our sin is so bad, um, not only could we not write the story of our salvation, if left to ourselves, we would not want this salvation. Um, The Spirit of God actually has to come into our dead hearts and make them alive again before we will even want the things of the Lord. Uh, The story of of J.K. Rowling writing Harry Potter, that whole series is fairly well known. Um, Prior to her success of writing Harry Potter, she was uh, an unemployed single mother um, struggling to get by financially when she was working on the first book. Uh, She apparently wrote a lot of the first draft of the first book on just scraps of paper, kind of wherever she could find them and wherever, whenever ideas would come to her. Uh, Apparently she was on a a flight one time and um, she took the sick bag, for lack of a better term, from the back of the seat in front of her. And she, uh, on that sick bag on the flight, she scribbled down the names of all the houses in Hogwarts. Um, I bet that would go for a lot of money if she still has it. Um, but, but she eventually completed this draft and, and pieced it together. And she submitted it, submitted it to over a dozen publishers, all of whom rejected her. Big mistake. Uh, eventually it was published and obviously has done very well. Um, but J.K. Rowling went to great lengths to, to write this story that you know, captured the imagination of millions and millions of people. Um, and this may sound like a silly thing to say. But none of the characters in that story wrote the story. Harry didn't write the story. Hermione didn't write the story. Uh, obviously that's not possible. The author has to be outside of the story. Because the story is something that the author creates. And this passage, this song is telling us that God is the author of our salvation. That he's the author of all human history. And that he wrote the story of our salvation. And he even, it's been said, has written himself into this story as the person of Jesus to come into the story and to save us. So not only is he the author of our salvation, that it's all him, it's his idea, it's his work, but this author wrote himself into the story in the person of Jesus in order to rescue us. And outside of God, the author writing himself into the story to save us, there would be no salvation. Um, nothing outside of Jesus' life and death and resurrection can save you. We cannot be good enough to manufacture our own salvation, uh, to make up for um, all of the bad that we've done. And, and you may know that, you, you may have heard that, you might agree with that, uh, but it's so easy to just default into this mode where we maybe, not, maybe wouldn't say this out loud, but we kind of functionally live this way of, look, if I can just like go to church most of the time, Maybe do, even do like, go above and beyond, do like a Bible study outside of Sunday church. Um, if I can just like not do anything too terrible, um, if I can be nice, especially like on social media and public settings, if I can have good manners, be kind to people, then like then I'll be good. Like then I'm fine with God. Um, we can slip in this very subtle form of authoring our own salvation where we set the terms of what it means to be right with God. Where it's no longer his standard that we're using, but we're sort of making up our own list of works. We're writing the list ourselves and we say, okay, if I do these things, then I'm good enough to be saved. I'm good enough to be with God. Um, But the Bible says there are no good people. No good people. Sin affects all of us and it's so bad that we cannot author our own salvation. There's nothing we can, can come up with to write ourselves back into relationship with God. So God writes himself into the story to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. 
God is the author of our salvation. And that is such good news that Simeon is singing about it. And his song also tells us that, that this salvation breaks down all barriers. This salvation breaks down all barriers. Look at the second part of Simeon's song in verse 32. It says that this salvation that God prepared would be, quote, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Um, Salvation is for Jews and Gentiles. Um, It's offered to all who would believe regardless of race or ethnicity or culture. There are no barriers to whom this salvation will be offered. Uh, Phil Riken in his commentary says that um, each song of Jesus at the beginning of Luke's gospel that we've been looking at, it tells us a little bit more and more about what Jesus is like and what he would do in the world. And he says that Simeon is the one who takes the gospel and makes it global. Uh, That it's good news for the whole world. Uh, One spring break in college, I went on a mission trip uh, with a campus ministry to Bucharest, Romania. Um, It was my first time leaving the country and our campus minister on the front end took a few uh, weeks to sort of get us ready because there were lots of us who had never left the country, never been outside of our own culture. And so he took some time to prepare us for that. And one of the things that he said on the front end that he wanted us to learn was that God was not an American. And as like an 18-year-old college kid in Texas, that sounded like, whoa, are you sure about that? Uh, But he wanted us to learn that God was not an American. What he meant by that was he wanted us to have eyes to see the beauty of the good news of Jesus expressed in a different culture and a different language. And I will never forget the feeling of attending a worship service that was spoken all in Romanian. I didn't understand any of it. Um, But to watch these Romanians close their eyes, lift their hands and worship, use their language to worship God, it was this amazing eye-opener of how big God really is and how he transcends all cultures and all languages. And Jesus comes and brings this salvation that is so big, it's so powerful, it's so universal that it transcends all of those barriers. And to take that idea, maybe even that image of worshiping in Bucharest, Romania, to our gym right here at the intersection of Legrand and South Pleasantburg. Um, this means that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Uh, there is no cultural barrier that the gospel cannot break down. There's no language barrier, no economic barrier, um, no educational barrier, no belief barrier, uh, meaning uh, even the most unchurched, opposed, um, secular, unbelieving neighbor or family member of yours, they are not somehow beyond the reach of the gospel. Um, Think about the the power behind this salvation that Jesus brings. God is the author. It's all God. It's his plan. It's his work. And it's so powerful that it transcends all barriers. Um, Do you see that this good news is so powerful that it it can melt the heart of the most cynical, non-believing person you know? Or or the the adult child that seems um, disinterested in Jesus and his church um, and has so for years? Or the, the neighbor on your street that is just so different from you and has really strong opinions that you never really agree with? The gospel can break down all of those barriers It is so powerful. God is the author. Salvation is for Jews and Gentiles. It breaks down all barriers. And this is powerful good news. And so Simeon sings about it. Just a few sentences. 
And after he sings, it says Joseph and Mary, they're marveling at him. They're just, they're, they're learning about who Jesus would be, who their son would be. And they're marveling. And he turns to them, then he blesses them and he offers what can feel like this very dire warning or prophecy about the suffering that would be in and around Jesus. So we've seen the salvation. Let's talk about the suffering. And first we see this with the suffering of Jesus. Verse 34, it talks about a sign that is opposed. Uh, This is referring to Jesus. He would be the one who is opposed. Jesus would come bringing this glorious salvation and he'd be utterly opposed. He'd be persecuted. He would be misunderstood. He would be mistreated. Um, He would suffer um, in unimaginable ways. And this was all a part of God's plan. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah describes the suffering that Jesus would undergo. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was a chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah 53 would be a great passage to reflect on even this week. Um, It can be easy uh, this time of year when we're surrounded with, again, very commercialized, uh, clean, kind of partially Christian versions of Christmas to only sort of think about a, a sweet baby being born in a manger for our salvation and then to jump from there, this happy image of Jesus in the manger, immediately to our salvation, the peace that it brings um, because of that, it can be easy to, um, to miss so much of the suffering and the sacrifice that Jesus went through. But we have to remember that he was a suffering servant. And his suffering included everything from being born in what's called a lowly estate, right? A dirty barn. Um, to being misunderstood and misrepresented all the way to being killed on a cross. And without that suffering, there would be no salvation. Uh, Mark Sayers, in a recent book, he recounts um, the eruption of the Krakatoa volcano in 1883. Um, The eruption of Krakatoa was one of the most devastating volcanic eruptions ever recorded in history. Um, The explosion, I guess, could be heard almost 2,000 miles away. Um, there was a sound wave from the explosion that traveled around the globe seven times. Um, There were over 36,000 deaths from the eruption of the volcano itself or the tsunamis that it created. It was a completely devastating event, uh, just mass destruction of everything around it. Um, But over the years following the eruption... Um, the, the ground was fully restored and made new and all this new beautiful life began forming on the island around it. And so Sayers in his book, he references this Australian journalist who was sending telegraphs um, here in, in, um, reporting on the initial eruption. This is from 1883. It says, quote, the correspondent feverishly telegraphing his account back to Australia could never have known that Krakatoa would rise again. He could never have imagined that where burnt earth smoldered, a vast canvas of life would reappear. He could know nothing of the seeds lying dormant that would germinate and grow into mighty trees. At that moment, all he could see was destruction. 
Uh, when Jesus experienced his ultimate suffering, when he was on the cross, he was bearing the wrath of God. All the wrath of the Father was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And it was absolutely decimating. Jesus was decimated by the wrath of the Father. He suffered, he endured all of it. it was, it's the worst kind of suffering there has ever been or ever will be. And if we only focused on that, we could be like that reporter and only see destruction and never know about the new life that would come again. But new life comes from Jesus' suffering. Because three days after his death, he rises again. Uh, Jesus had to suffer in order for us to be saved. And this is what Simeon tells Mary and Joseph. And again, they're marveling. They're taking this all in. Who would this child be? And as he tells them this, he continues, and we get a, a glimpse of a bit more suffering. It's not just Jesus who would suffer, but we see that it's Mary who would suffer too. Verse 35, it says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Okay, this is foreshadowing the suffering and the heartbreak that Mary would experience as she watched her son suffer and watched her son die on the cross. It would feel like a sword piercing her own soul as she watched him in his heartache and in his death. So Jesus experienced it ultimately. Mary experiences it as she watches her son suffer. And it's almost like as you keep reading Luke's gospel, there, there are these expanding concentric circles of suffering that are connected to Jesus. It kind of expands outward. Um, later in Luke's gospel, Jesus himself is going to invite us to follow him in his suffering. Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Um, to follow Jesus, uh, to put your faith in him, to be saved, means to follow him into this pattern of death, of suffering, and into resurrection. To, to share in his suffering. Um, it is the suffering of denying ourselves, of taking up our cross on a daily basis where our old self dies a bit more each day and our new self is resurrected into this new life in Christ a bit more. Um, this means for us that much of our lives as followers of Jesus in this world will be full of suffering. Um, suffering is the norm rather than the exception because of the pattern that's set by Jesus. Um, and so this is, is sort of a, a category or a fair warning that if, if you are exploring the, the claims of Jesus, exploring what it might mean to follow him, maybe you're wrestling through that on your own, it does not mean an easy life. And that is just not true if that's what people have told you. Following Jesus does not mean an easy life. It does not mean that suddenly you snap your fingers and things are just good. In some ways it means you're acquainted with more suffering. ...as you follow in the footsteps of your Savior. Uh, but we see that Jesus' suffering, it was not in vain. And none of our suffering is in vain either. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8... ...he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time... ...are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And um, what awaits those in Christ who are suffering in this life is glory. Uh, glory that is so good and so right... And so peaceful, uh, absent of tears, absent of physical pain, um, absent of relational strife, absent of loneliness, 
absent of sin, um, its perfect glory with God and His people, so good that nothing else on earth can compare to it. Um, The suffering of Jesus, it leads to our salvation. And Simeon tells Joseph and Mary at the end though that not all would believe. That not all would be saved. He says that Jesus would be appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. In verse 34. And then at the end of verse 35 he says that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The Lord knows our hearts. He sees us with perfect clarity. He sees our belief, our unbelief. Those who will rise with Christ in belief and those who will fall away from Him forever in unbelief. So the question for us to grapple with as we approach this Christmas week is do you believe? Do you believe? Is God stirring in your heart? uh, uh, Prompting you to take up your cross and follow Jesus today? Um, Do you find yourself maybe increasingly captivated with the beauty of the suffering servant? Maybe God is stirring in you, giving you that new life. Uh, maybe life right now feels like the aftermath of Krakatoa, right? Where it just feels like all devastation. It's, everything's decimated. It feels hopeless. feels like despair. feels like no hope. Um, do you see that there are seeds of new life that are planted by Jesus? Where there is resurrection and resurrection hope. Uh, this is a Jesus that offers him to you. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are hurting and you are just feeling the suffering acutely right now, do you see how he gives you himself and in that he gives you real hope this morning uh, to take the next step, uh, to go forward one more day, believing and trusting that there is glory that awaits. And if you find yourself not as a follower of Jesus, do do you see that the consequences are dire? There's an offer of new life for you today. Would you fall down before Jesus and believe? Give yourself to him. I would love to talk with you afterwards about what that might look like. What is on offer for you this morning is a suffering servant himself, Jesus, the one who offers new life. Won't you receive him by faith? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that there is ultimately good news. There is ultimately good news in Jesus that his life of suffering and rejection and being misunderstood and misrepresented and betrayed and deserted and abandoned. Um, Ultimately, that leads to the glory of salvation where our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, where we are given His perfect righteousness by faith, where we are fully known and fully loved, we're brought into relationship with the Father for all eternity, where we can experience peace rather than anxiety and fear and condemnation. Peace with you, peace with one another. Father, as we enter into this Christmas week, would you remind us that our suffering servant came and took on flesh so that we might experience real salvation in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.